Welcome to TalkScript, a superset of a podcast about JavaScript. The presenting sponsor of TalkScript is SitePen, a JavaScript consultancy helping companies improve their apps, tools, and teams. Check it out at sitepen.com. Let's find out if TalkScript is your type of podcast. Hello, and welcome to the TalkScript podcast. I'm your host, Brian Forbes. And with me today, I have Nick Nisi. Hello. And today we have a special guest. Someone you've come to know and love, and that is Paul Shannon. Aw, shucks. You're sweet, Brian. And today, we've got a really neat topic today. We're going to talk about web audio. But first, we want to highlight just a, a couple of things going on in the TypeScript community. Let's see. The first one is we spotted, I think, Nick, you spotted this. Um, it's uh, in your TS config. You're going to be able to use uh, absolutely named packages rather than having to use relative paths in the extends. So for instance, on Dojo, we're using some scripts and we have a, a base TS config. And so our TS config for all of our projects is dot slash node modules, slash at Dojo, slash scripts, you know, slash, slash, slash. We'll be able to cut out that node module at first dot slash node modules and just say extends at Dojo slash scripts. Uh, so a little less typing then that package can end up anywhere in our node modules and it'll pick it right up. That's right, Brian. Uh, so it'll be, if it's not a relative module, it'll be relative to the node modules directory, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah, so that'll be slick. So there's some things coming down the pipe. They're talking about implementing the ES decorator proposal, so that'll change the decorator syntax. I mean, not the syntax, but the call arguments for the actual decorators themselves. So that'll be a big breaking change. I'm, I'm not sure when that's coming down. They just got it marked for future, but some things just to kind of look out for. Well, uh, they're coming down the pipe. I don't know if they're actually going to break it per se. I mean, they'll they'll probably sure. have. They'll probably support both. I would imagine. Yeah. They had talked about it earlier about having a toggle flag. And they're just like, whatever. If it changes, it changes. We should be able to accommodate it. Hopefully, yeah. fingers crossed. I wonder if they'd be able to do that with because right now you can't use decorators without using the experimental decorators flag. So right. I wonder if the real decorators would just be available without that flag, and then if you use experimental decorators, then you're using the old way. That'd be an interesting way to do it. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. What's interesting is that experimental decorators, once it's supported in JavaScript, will be another one of those things like proxy or like symbols that is difficult to polyfill. Yeah, it will be, for sure. All right. I think that's it for, for things kind of coming down the pipe. Not a whole lot that's concrete right now, but we'll keep you guys up to date as we find more out and uh, as we see kind of what's coming in January. It looks like they're going to do a, a release in January 20, uh, 2019. Wow, we're at the end of 2018. <laughs> that's where all my vacation time is, so <laughs> I definitely I know, realize right? that. You too, Brian, right? I know, yeah. I've got a bunch of vacation coming up. So, All right. I think, Paul, you've got a quiz for us. Well, Kind of. Yeah. Kind I just, okay. you know, so we're going to go into like sound, which is something that a lot of like devs don't have a lot of experience with. So I just wanted right. to kind of like level set. <laughs> well, Nick it, is our guinea pig this week. He really is. <laughs> That's true. Nick was like, oh, I don't know anything about web audio. And I'm like, perfect. Join the, the webcast. Ask That's right. Questions. That's right. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to like level set and say like, you know, Nick and Brian, Brian, I know you've had experience with audio because you have uh, a band. I I play in the worship team at church, so yeah. That's a band, right? Is it punk music right, or? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know hardcore metal on Sunday mornings. That no. <laughs> that would be an interesting. That would be, awesome. be cool. Yeah, I, that's you got to have a no, hook. It's, it's and not the, at all. Come on, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just took that away from me. I'm sorry. I ruined everything. 
so yeah, so I wanted to kind of, you know, just kind of level set and say, hey, like, what do you guys know about sound and how have you used it? Uh, Nick, you do you play an instrument or anything? Like, I don't know, actually. I tried to play the bass in high school and I could look at some tab websites and play <laughs> some very simple things, but I was never Victor Wooten, even though I tried to play a lot of his stuff. And that's about that's it. usually not that, the place to start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, other than that, I know that I, I use my ears, my ear holes for sound. And, uh, <laughs> but you don't forget your mouth hole. Oh, well, yeah, that too. Right. Yeah, so both of you guys are beyond me. Like, I can't read music. I can't read sheet music. I've never learned to play an instrument. And so, like, just having any experience with any kind of instrument mm. or, like, any kind of band stuff is way beyond me. Mm-hmm. Just, I haven't. It's one of those things on so my bucket list. So you didn't play like in the high school band or anything? No, no. I played the recorder oh. in third grade, I think. Well, see, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I can play a CD player, and that's about the extent of my musical prowess. Yeah. But um, so both of you guys have... What's a CD player? Oh, gosh. Millennials. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like one of those DVD players that they keep talking about? It's like a laser disc, but smaller. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's like a record player. You know, the save icon on audio that's right. That's past that. <laughs> oh. So first of all, like you guys have some experience with sound. Like, do you know like the components of sound? Like what makes like a sound wave and kind of like how that language is just used to describe a sound wave? A speaker makes a sound wave. There you go. <laughs> I don't. I don't know anything about sound. Sound is just vibrations in the air, essentially. You've got a source. <laughs> yeah, good vibrations. Well, you know, depending on the music. Um, so you've got something that is going to, the terms oscillate and vibrate the air essentially at a certain frequency. That's what our vocal cords do. The recorder that you played in third grade, that's what that does is it, you know, it vibrates the air at a certain frequency. You know, all musical instruments work on vibration, especially like bass and guitar, any stringed instruments. That's what you do is, you know, when you pluck the string, it vibrates back and forth yeah that's the first half of it actually is that frequency represents the sound in its kind of its purest form like as you think of a wave the frequency is how often that wave oscillates or how often it comes back to center or whatever you want to picture it as and then that describes the shape of the sound and kind of its characteristics that exists when you produce the sound usually and then computers can alter that of course but that changes the shape of the sound amplitude is the other side of things where amplitude describes the amount of pressure or force being put forward by the wave Mm -hmm. so where you have like your wave how frequent the wave oscillates up and down makes your frequency how which is like the frequency is like the pitch right frequency and pitch are related yes yeah yeah Yeah, frequency is more the measurement of the wave and pitch is more the measurement of the sound itself. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's they're related, you know, in in a lot of ways. Right, right, right. And then amplitude is the thing that your stereo or your computer can alter to make something louder without changing the shape of that sound. And so when you think of a waveform, you think of the top and bottom of it. And that is the amplitude, intensity, amplitude, loudness. They're all used to describe kind of features around the height of that wave. Right. Cool. Cool. Then tons of other things that come forward from those two functional characteristics of sound. And then digital sound actually is a layer on top of that that is used to kind of represent this analog idea of sound, like this wave that's traveling. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into it more, but essentially when you get into a computer sound, it's not analog anymore. It's now been digitized. And as a result, Mm -hmm. it's been 
quantized into little tiny boxes that represent each point mm-hmm. in that sound. So, I mean, if you're a math nerd and you think about like Riemann sums or something like that, you're talking about taking like smaller measurements as you go up in your right. recording rate. Just real quick, the difference between analog and digital is that with digital, like you said, you've got these tiny little boxes. With analog, it's real smooth going up and down. Yeah. Analog is, well, I'm not an expert at analog, but it, it's literally the, the sound that's being produced. So if you think of like record player, record players have more of that analog. They don't have quantized sound in the same way. Correct. Whereas a CD is is all ones and zeros. Yeah, CD's all, all ones and zeros and it so it does a best representation, but it doesn't give you the to the human ear, generally a CD is indistinguishable. Pretty much. My friend Tom Trank is gonna have a heart attack because I said that. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and you can even get so a CD records at like forty four thousand hertz. But you, yeah. you can go even higher nowadays, and then you can get essentially lossless sound. So you can go crazy with it. And, and if you really wanted to, you could do what a lot of studios do and record each track separately. And then that mm-hmm. gives you even more sound space to represent like individual sounds. And so you, instead of digitizing it into a larger, into a single track, you have each individual track quantized to represent yep. it. Because when you think about yep. a sound wave, it's like, okay, you have the single wave, but sound is actually like a mess of waves that clash together and to a point where they finally hit your ears. Right. And so if you have... It's pretty amazing to think of all the sounds that we hear simultaneously and that our brains can decode that. Yeah, it's crazy. Just to think that like all of this comes together and you look at like a waveform from an orchestra and it's just a mess. Yeah. It's just like everything, all this frequencies going on and all these changes and it's not like this clean thing, but then you have like a computer that can run filters on it and then, you know, mm-hmm take out high frequency or low frequency and like clean it up and everything and and right or the annoying frequencies like the oboe (laughs) (laughs) exactly 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 so now we kind of got an idea of what sound is and kind a little bit of how that gets digitized right we'll go into it a little bit more later on but can you give us kind of a high level overview of what apis and such are available because we work on the web right and for a long time sound was basically you could put a midi file maybe in the background you could put (laughs) maybe a real player or a youtube video on there right or uh you know on your myspace page back in the day you could have a song that played on your geocities Uh, yeah on your geocities right all the best sites had background all uh, yeah had background audio and auto playing videos and yeah you know and then you've got your flash sites that with your games and such but i mean we've moved past that and now we're at this point where we don't have to have plugins we don't have to have real audio or anything like that we can actually do some pretty neat things straight in the browser with javascript so could you tell us a little bit about that yeah sure so there's always been like this fascination with audio and video on Mm -hmm. the web and before yeah we've had to do things like flash or real audio or other precursors to actually getting it in the browser and so in html5 uh video and audio tags properly were introduced and that gives you kind of whatever audio support that your browser has But today we're kind of focused on this technology that's been emerging, the set of APIs that's been emerging for the last five or six years now. It's taken quite a while, called web audio. And so if you think of audio and video tags, those are kind of similar to an image tag. You know, you put an image on a Mm web page and it displays that image. And so that's kind of similar. But if you think of web audio, web audio is more akin to like what Canvas brought to the HTML and Mm -hmm. and the ability to just 
display a buffer of any data onto the screen, mm-hmm. web audio kind of allows you to actually work with audio as buffers or as mm. small components of sound. So in your analogy, you know, with Canvas, you can take something and you can actually manipulate it. Right. Yeah. So okay. it, it gives you a chance to manipulate it at even a low level. So again, yeah. like you could kind of mess with image a little bit. You could like offset yeah. the images. You could have an image map yeah. and like, you know, do fun things. But until you had Canvas, you couldn't do things like full-on VR, 3D, whatever. And mm-hmm. and now, like, that's really matured a lot since the introduce, inter, introduce, yep, introduction of the Canvas tag. <laughs> and web audio is kind of starting along that. Okay. It has a little bit of, you know, like, things holding it back. Browser adoption is one. And I, I think just kind of the general knowledge of sound and how it works yeah. and how it can be useful on the browser is another. Because, like, we mm-hmm. as devs work with images all the time but sound rarely yeah so that's really been the the focus of the web is the visual aspect what you click on those sorts of things audio has really taken a back seat like you said it has been but at the same time you know we've been writing web apps for years and decades now oh yeah and yeah and sound has never come to the fore in it and some of it's because we don't want to disturb users and that's completely sure noble i guess <laughs> i guess <laughs> it is but at the same time sometimes we as users want to be disturbed so like yeah you know i like my notifications to have a little ding to them so i pay attention yeah. to them like my phone makes dings and sounds and i can modulate that you know permissions to mm-hmm. do that who can make yeah. those noises but for the most part that adds to the experience of using a phone so web audio is kind of coming to the fore and there's definitely problems around permission and things like that but mm-hmm. going back to web audio it's not just buffers so it also provides tools on top of getting access to that raw audio data um so the three things that it kind of provides is sources so sources are like an, an oscillator node so like that pure waveform that we were kind of talking mm-hmm. about earlier that has a frequency and an amplitude. Mm-hmm. An oscillator node produces a frequency. And then there's like an audio buffer source node, which is where all of your raw buffer data goes in. You can manipulate and provide like raw data. Mm-hmm. And then on top of the sources, you can apply effects. So a gain node is a very standard effect that everybody you know, knows. It's essentially your amplifier dial for your stereo can increase or decrease volume. There's a delay node, which allows you to play audio into this node and then delay it for a period of time before it goes to your next effect or destination. And then there's more complicated things, like there's a bi-quad filter node and uh, like wave shapers and things like that. And, you know, if you want to eliminate frequency domains like high, low and things like that, that help clean up your audio or isolate parts of your audio, you'll use bi-quad filter. And if you want to to kind of like shape the sound in a certain way, Mm -hmm. you would use kind of a wave shaper. And what that does is it combines a sound characteristic with your audio that's coming in as a source. Right, right. On the end of it, you have your destinations. The main one is the audio context has a destination node, which is your output to your speakers. I think there's a couple other ones. Like there's actually a visualizer that allows you to visualize or get the audio back out in a visualization form. So you can use it for your Winamp Mm. visualization type thing. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You can actually like look at sound. Nick's going to go program Winamp after we're done with this. That is actually already a project. Is it really? Yeah. Winamp2.js or something. That's Uh, awesome. But yeah, it's a full-featured implementation of Winamp2. 
That's awesome. So the sources, effects, destinations things, it reminds me of kind of like your sources, your guitar, your effects is kind of the effects pedals that you pipe and everything through. You know, like you said, you got a gain, you've got a, you can probably a little distortion, you had your delay, and then your destinations like your speaker or to the board or whatever, you know? Yeah, it's very, it seems pretty well thought out. Yeah, and I think that's exactly where web audio has started. Like, it's the idea yeah. that you're, and a lot of audio starts there because it's simple. I was going to say, I think it's pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. And then where it's kind of going right now is the whole idea that you're able to actually create sound through buffers and fill in those buffers and pass them directly to a destination. And so you can actually create those sources and everything. So we should probably kind of like talk about then what sound is as far as sure. the computer's concerned because you think of it as a wave and yes it's a wave but i don't know people that aren't familiar with audio may not realize like how much data actually is pushed through so like if you have an audio buffer which is essentially a float 32 array for web audio okay. So the typed arrays that have been introduced, those float 32s right. are what's used for web audio. And so okay. all of your sound then is represented in little pieces in that float 32 array. And so a typical sound rate is 48,000 hertz or 44,000 hertz. And what that really means is every second of audio that plays is represented by 44 or 48,000 entries in a float 32 array or 48,000 floats every second. Wow. Wow. And so to be able to manipulate this in the browser. It's crazy. It's crazy, yeah. And so my last major experience with web audio was recently I wrote a decoder. So an, an audio decoder or an audio codec like MP3 or, or something along those lines. I wrote that in the browser to support a codec that uh, one of our clients was using that is not part of the general browser spec. So like right. MP3 or, oh, I forget Google's. Uh, Chrome's Vorbis codecs, I think they are, with Opus. And, it, yeah, it's Aug in. Uh, well, Aug is WebP. a container, actually. Yeah, yeah, Aug is a container, right, right, right. Yeah, which is another fun thing that we can get into, but not going. I worked with you on that project. I remember you kind of explained this to me at, at the time, and it's like that's a whole other episode. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me ask a question because I know nothing about any of this. But you were kind of talking about waves, and do you mean like the actual like wave file format that I'm recording in right now, or like does Web Audio have the ability to play things like MP3s, or am I thinking about this at a at a different level? Yes, kind of. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes to both. <laughs> so it's if you wanted to just play MP3s and do nothing else with it, you would typically just use an audio tag. And so okay. you'd say, audio, here's a source, here's an MP3. Now, if you wanted... And do all of the browsers have the ability to play like MP3s and common codecs like that? If your operating system supports it, yes. Okay. Right. So there's like source sets in audio tags. You can actually, for the audio tag, you can say, hey, these are the sources of audio that I can provide. Yeah. And then the browser I looks see. at the extensions and says, these are the ones I know how to play. And so if you only provide MP3, I think nowadays MP3 and its codecs are supported by all browsers. Firefox was the yeah, last exactly. holdout, I believe, on that, and they capitulated. So for web audio, to answer your question there, you can create a buffer, an audio buffer, from, and you can load sound into an audio buffer. And the audio buffer represents a data for a source. So the audio buffer source node that we talked about earlier, you would fill that audio buffer source node with your MP3 data and then push that off to the destination or connect that to your destination. And then when you call start on it, it would play. Mm. 
So it's a little more, a few more steps because it gives you the opportunity to say, okay, well, I have this buffer of audio data. Now I can do whatever I want with it before I pass it off into the sound system. So if you have a game, you can manipulate it. Like, let's say your character is high or drunk or something. You can manipulate that sound (laughs) to make it sound like you're off kilter. You can change the audio channels back and forth to mess with a character that's off balance or something like that. Right. Or like uh, at the end of the, you know, the last, what, 15, 20 seconds of the Mario level, the audio sped up. You could do that, too. Yeah. So you can do all sorts of manipulation. You'd use the same audio file or audio data. You'd just speed it up. You'd just put it through the, push the floats through faster. Yeah. And if you had an equalizer like Winamp, you could put it through filter nodes and... isolate certain frequencies and change those frequency characteristics before it goes out to your audio. It really is more like a canvas than an image. So if you think about the old way of dealing with these, these audio and video tags, like they're the old way, like you put something on a page, like it's a document and it displays kind of like a document, even though audio and video are multimedia sources, you have like this canvas now that represents audio that you can actually manipulate at a low level that we've been unable to do previously. Sound is kind of like this interesting thing because it's both temporal, like it has a time component to it, and it has like this data component to it. So it's it's almost like if you were going to do an animated GIF on your canvas, audio is kind of the same, like you have this time component that you're trying to show a mm-hmm. change in audio and everything. This is really kind of a cool technology yeah it really is does sound makes like does that make sense then like how sound kind of comes across so i think one thing i didn't cover is like if you have like a big float 32 array and we kind of talked about it earlier i guess a little bit if you want to actually represent a waveform from in using this float from zero to one you want to represent the change and that's how sound actually is created so for instance if you just put all ones in that float 32 array for that segment it wouldn't really create any sound. Initially, it would. It might make a little tiny, because you're going, I mean, initially you're going from zero to one. Yeah, it might, but your ears don't really pick that up. Probably, yeah, I was gonna, just going to say. It, just at the same time, if you were to fill an array with like zeros and ones, like alternate between zero and one as fast as you could, like every single record, all the evens were zeros and all the odds in your float 32 yeah, yeah. were ones, that wouldn't really make any sound either. It would actually vibrate the speaker super fast but our, eye, right. our ears aren't really attuned. Your dog might go nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you can make technical changes like that that right. vibrate your speaker, but your ears wouldn't really pick it up because it's, it's such a fast or high frequency, mm-hmm. you wouldn't notice it. Just the same as if you had like, you know, a zero and then like a half a second later had a one in your array. That change really wouldn't be picked up either because it's not right so really what we're trying to do with this buffer is we have a quantized version of what a sound wave is but at the same time it's not just data we're trying to confer information to our ears in a way it's a it's a lossy system that doesn't get all of the information so we have to we have to do it very slowly much slower than a computer can go in a way that our ears can recognize as something. Right. It's like in the old days when you had modems and they had a baud rate that you had to like match. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, our ears are, are kind of like the slow modem and the computers and the speakers are the fast month and we have to just kind of yeah. like match them up or you're not yeah. going to get any communication. Well, and the lossy format kind of explains, I'm not sure if, if you guys have seen that, uh, the meme that kind of came out uh, a couple months ago where it was this toy 
from the 90s and you know you played it and if you thought about one word it sounded like that word and if you thought about another word it sounded like that word you know it's a lossy format it sounds sort of like what something would sound like but there's obviously depending on the quality of the speaker or those sorts of things uh, you're going to get anomalies like that was that the speak and spell uh, i don't think it was a speak and spell it was like this little green thing that glowed and uh. Maybe we can find it and put it in the show notes. I think I saw something about that. And our, yeah. our brains are constantly lying to us. Right, right. Visual stuff, like your eyes are the worst offenders of that. And that could be a whole show on its own. Because like you have blind right? spots. And when you move your eyes, you don't actually see through the transition. Like you just see right. the points in which your eyes stop. And so like if you mm-hmm. look at somebody reading, they're constantly jittering their eyes around. They're not smoothly reading a page. Yeah, yeah. So VR systems are, are looking for ways to like track eye movements and create more efficient renderings just yeah. based on like, hey, they're moving their eyes. So we should render this section of our screen. And because their peripheral vision pretty much sucks, we could just have colors and they're not going to notice. Right, right. But I mean, our ears are, are similar, right? They're very we, similar. We only process X amount of information. I, can't, I don't know what it was. but So there's obviously limits to what we can do with web audio that a user would actually pick up. Yeah, in addition to like the frequency limitations of our ears and those things, we can only pay attention to like one and a half conversations at most. And so like if you have background noise and things like that, your brain is constantly filtering those things out and paying attention to the things that it thinks is important. So that's why I get tired when I go to a party or something. Yeah, or you just need to drink more, Brian. (laughs) Okay. There we go. One drink. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, one drink is not enough. You gotta gotta, (laughs) get. People also like there's frequencies that like younger people can hear that older people Mm -hmm. lose the ability to hear. So I could have like secret messages to children on my website. (laughs) I don't think that's a good idea nowadays. (laughs) Um, All right, Nick. Uh, I'm gonna be checking all of your websites now. (laughs) You can certainly use you know the mosquito sound. You can certainly use that to scare away uh, young hooligans off your grass. There's going to be a whole new swath of backwards masking, like scare tactics. You remember the the backwards masking raid in the 80s that there were demonic messages in, in rock and roll music that if you played it backwards, you could hear them? That's because there was. There was. <laughs> now it's all going to be high frequency messages to children in Taylor Swift. That's what it's going to be. I thought that's what dubstep was. That's what. It, <laughs> I think you're right. This is uh, making me realize, though, that you should have something on your own personal website, Brian, that just says "Get off my lawn" in that high frequency. In that high frequency. I think you're right. I think you're right. I'll work on that this weekend. Awesome. All right. So, Paul, so we kind of covered like the two aspects of what sound is, like what sound actually is, and then like kind of how a computer simulates it by, you know, pushing data through and vibrating a speaker to vibrate our eardrums, right? You know, how have you used web audio? What kind of brought you into this realm of, hey, there's this thing out there now that I can do this with? Well, I've, so I've been a front-end engineer for a long time, and a lot of my experience has always been in multimedia. So I I knew a little bit of sound stuff, and (laughs) just to leave the mystery, stuff I knew a little bit about sound and I knew enough about MP3s and codecs and decoders and things like that, kind of in relation to video, because, you know, I used to run, I used to play around with Myth TV. I used to play around with a lot of the old kind of like DVR systems. Mm. And for work, I've, you know, I work with 
photos and video systems and things like that. So right. I've never been like deep, deep into it. You so you know? kind of knew the theory behind it. Yeah, but enough to really know like the theory behind it and everything. And so here we had a customer that needed to kind of like get a codec into the browser that didn't exist because all of their content, all of it was was really in that codec. Right. And so we had a big project here and we decided that yes, you know, this is something we can definitely do. And it was kind of scary because we weren't really sure if the web was ready. Because like I said earlier, we're pushing tons of data when we're talking about a codec. I think you said 48,000 flows a second, that, something along those lines. This codec starts at 8,000 hertz. So that gave us a bit okay. of an advantage, but different browsers actually have a different minimum rate that they support. So okay. I think it's Firefox is like 22,000 hertz is the minimum. Safari is 44, because why not? I think Chrome is the only one that, that actually supports the 8,000. And what it does, what all of them have to do is they have to expand the audio to fit that space. Just as if you would expand an image, it has you have to expand your audio to fit whatever your natural right. digital rate is for your hardware. When you say expand, it's kind of like when you take a, a small JPEG and you blow it up and it looks grainy. A little bit. I mean, if you're blowing it up huge, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, you're going to get that. It's going to look lossy. Yeah. But fortunately, your ears lie to you and it you really can't right. hear the difference. And so the codec that I was working with was the Speaks codec and it deals entirely in speech. And so if we were to do like a lot of hi-hats and drums, it, you're going to hear it. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because it's speech and, and Opus is the successor to Speaks, and that is mm -hmm. available for all the browsers now, Opus is, mm -hmm. because of WebRTC, right. which is another show probably. <laughs> but, but yeah, so we actually wrote a low-level codec, and part of the reason was the client that codec, and also because we wanted to do like live analysis on the audio as it came through. So like being right. able to display amplitude values was central to the application. And then being able to do rate change and pitch correction was another mm -hmm. fantastically difficult thing to do in web audio, which is unfortunate yeah. because like rate change and pitch correction are supported navally, right? Natively on Na navally. navally, you just gaze the, at your the navel. Navy wasn't, the Navy was involved? <laughs> no, it's more naval gazing. In audio and video text, like you can do rate change. Right. And Nick listens at uh, 45 times for most of his podcasts, I think. <laughs> right. Yes. And it sounds kind of normal, but if you do just pitch correction without rate change, or uh, just do rate change without pitch correction, without pitch you sound correction, like chipmunks. Yeah. Right. And so we had to write all of that on the client to really make this happen. And that was an interesting feat. And so like a lot of my experience now on web audio is not musically focused, because I can't music worth a darn. Right. But it's all focused on data and making data presentable on the web. Right. Yeah, and I came into the project well after you guys written the codec. So I kind of reaped the benefits of what you were doing. But it was really neat to just kind of have this thing. I think it ran in a, a worker, right? No, it, it runs on oh. the main thread. And a okay. lot of that is related to the issues that Web Audio has today. And we'll get into that too. That's fine. That's fine. But it was kind of amazing that we were running the speaks file through JavaScript and piping it into the speakers. And you could speed it up. You could skip blank spots. It was just fascinating that we were able to do all these things in JavaScript. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Having uh, real data available to you is amazing. Yeah. And we even had it where you could, there's 
two tracks in the file and you could bump the gain up of one track and pull the gain back on the other track. Just fascinating stuff that you can do with, with the effects, right? So we'd be able to mute one of the sides and, and then tell the other side that we wanted to skip all the pauses where there was no audio. And so would yeah. cal- make that calculation just based upon what segments are silent. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, that was interesting. We actually took the native C library of the Speaks decoder and we did a one-to-one translation of it into TypeScript. Were you wow. using something like um, uh, WebAssembly for that? I did do a WebAssembly version of it. So the problem with WebAssembly is if you do something in WebAssembly, and back then when we did it, it was this was over a year ago now, uh, WebAssembly wasn't really, it was maybe beta alpha quality, and most of the browsers hadn't adopted most of the stuff with WebAssembly. So if you're doing WebAssembly, you were doing it through a polyfill, essentially, when you ran it on the browser, if you wanted to run it across all the browsers. But one of the problems with WebAssembly is if you write something in WebAssembly and you hand it over to a client, that client needs somebody on their team that knows the native language, C, knows the web assembler, the compiler that, that compiles it, and they need to know JavaScript so they can debug all three at the same time. So you need like a really pretty much expensive engineer <laughs> that right. can do all of those things. And like there's not people around that can do all of those and web audio and everything. And so... Except... That's like, no, I'm Pretty much. Like, <laughs> right. like, it's a rare breed that of engineers that know no, WebAssembly, that right. can debug yeah. it, that know sound. And that's the problem with WebAssembly is now you need an expert in three levels, you know, and going mm-hmm. back to like the Java VMs, like that engineer that tunes your Java VM is either a specialized engineer or one that is like the lead or an architect in your team. You know, it's a similar situation. You need that ex- super expert yep. to go and use WebAssembly. Yeah. In production. Well, I mean, even finding a JavaScript engineer that knows C seems like a rare thing today. Yeah, probably. So what we did, you know, and I, I do know C because I started back in the day with Visual Studio yeah, yeah. And, and everything. Get off my lawn and all that. I right? Get off my lawn and all that, <laughs> yes. In the wild west of, of everything, really. But I started back in the day and I did learn C++. What we did is we incrementally took the functions because it's C and it's a functional language. It was pretty easy to black box. And so we would throw data into the black box in C and data, get data out of the black box in C. And then we would write unit tests and then we would write our TypeScript function and we would duplicate that. And one of the interesting differences of C to JavaScript is that in C you have pointers. And for people who don't know, pointers are essentially a pointer to a memory location that says, here's where this data exists. And you can do pointer math, which any efficient C library typically does, to move backwards and forwards in memory. And fortunately, typed arrays are a really decent match for kind of pointer structures. And we were able to make sure that whenever pointers were used in the C library, we had a typed array that would back the data. And so oftentimes you would have like data passed into a function and you would just kind of start somewhere in that data and they would use pointer math to go backwards and forwards in that. With your typed arrays, you've got a view, right? Yeah, so your typed arrays are are raw data, essentially. They're backed Mm -hmm. by... They're like the memory, in a sense. Yeah, and so you can pull memory out of anywhere in there, but you can also use subarrays to, to yeah. slice up that data. But even when you slice up that data, the underlying data framework still exists. So you can yeah. get back to it. And so a, a specific typed array like a float32 is just a, a proxy to access the underlying data. It's a, yeah. a byte array. 
I think is what it is. I forget the proper terminology. It was an adventurous project and we rewrote it by hand, but that's exactly what WebAssembly does is it it translates everything to a big typed array and then Mm. it allows you to use those typed arrays to access the data. And normally it's a big memory pool instead Mm -hmm. of like what we did is we, we were able to actually slice up the buffering memory type data away from like the the fundamental types like numbers and strings and things like that that don't need that type of treatment and so it gives us a lot more control we did have to do it manually but at the same time we were able to put real tests around it and isolate issues that we found which helped us a lot in the long run it was the right choice to do and simplifies the project in the long run for everybody that's really cool. So what other, uh, t- kind of talked about speech analysis, which is what we, we did on this project. What other sorts of applications do you see for web audio? So just kind of some simple things, you know, games are an obvious, kind of an obvious one, because you can constantly like blending and creating sound on the fly in games. Any kind of dynamic interaction where you're dealing with a real application or uh, something tangible in front of you that you're interacting with constantly rather than a document. So games is a big one. WebXR with VR, uh, virtual reality and augmented reality are a huge use case for this. One of the big things that has been added recently to web audio was the ability to do 3D spatializations. So you can like have a sound, but you can play it five feet away from you. Wow. Which That's is very spatial. It's very spacey. Yeah. <laughs> Space. So yeah. So you could like you could take the sound and like rotate it around the person. Right, exactly. Wow. And which is important for any kind of 3D yeah. environment when you're there, you want to be able to represent sound and you know, 3D spatialization of sound is something that's kind of coming to a lot of VR developers forefronts, I, I guess. They're mm-hmm. they're really looking at that as a way to add immersion to that technology. Yeah. Any kind of interactive sites, if you just have an email client that dings or, you know, you have a site that you want to have, like, actually interact with you in any kind of way, like using web audio over an audio tag gives you that a little bit more control than you would typically mm-hmm. have. And then any kind I would, of, oh, go uh, ahead. Go, no, no, go ahead. I was just going to say the last kind of big thing is any kind of like editing or real time synthesis mm. that you want to do to audio. If you imagine like WebRTC, you know, and you're chatting with people and being able to like manipulate voices on the fly or to be able to manipulate data before it goes in and is passed over to the other party, kind of like how Snapchat mm-hmm. does filters. You could do the same thing with audio data and add that mm-hmm. extra layer of communication or add that extra layer of immersion to something. Right. I was just thinking, I would imagine that there's some sort of application for educational sites. I know just in learning in learning a new language over the last couple of years, it's really helped me to be able to hear and repeat things back to myself. And speaking it out loud makes it stick better than if I just read it on a page. And so I would imagine there's educational uses for this in learning new languages, learning math, learning, I mean, any sort of thing where you can hear, see, and interact with it more, I would imagine that would that would help with a stick. That's a fantastic idea because you with web audio, you don't just have to play something back to somebody. You could actually yeah. have a computer analyze your accent or your usage, your pronunciation, your pronunciation yeah. of those words and give you kind of an idea of how correct you sound as you're pronouncing things or where it yeah. you know, even provides you advice on how to better pronounce something or like maybe you need a sharper... Right you know, pronunciation of some syllable. Right. Patent pending. Patent pending. Brian, <laughs> Brian called dibs. That's what patents are, right? Dibs. 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 Yep. <laughs> 
with any technology that is kind of cutting edge, right? And I would say web audio is pretty cutting edge. There's always issues with it. Even when HTML5 tags came out, there were issues with browsers, right? Browser support and those sorts of things. Uh, any of the new JavaScript specs, there's always issues with browser support. How do we polyfill this, et cetera, et cetera. So what sort of issues, if somebody goes today to try and do web audio to maybe steal my patent away from me, <laughs> what sort of issues are they going to hit? Yeah, this is really the big pain point right now with, with right. web audio. Yeah, it always is. So we call it a new technology, but that the web audio spec has been out and it's been in flux for at least five years now. Okay. And so the buffer type of stuff that I was talking about has gone through several iterations or complete rewrites now. And so it used to be that you would be able to pull up an audio buffer out of a sound stream. Like, so you have your sources and then you have a few effects and then maybe you want to get the buffer data after those effects have been applied and then do right. something with it. Basically chain your effects. Yeah. So you wanted to create your bespoke effect in the middle. Yeah. And to do that, it used to be that you'd use this thing called a script processor node. And what that used to be was a callback that would call a function that would pass a buffer to you and then give you a space that you could output a new buffer. Right. And so essentially it's like, here's a transformative space in which you can manipulate or look at the audio or do whatever you wanted yeah, with it. Like a reducer function almost. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, yeah. yeah except in buffer space. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's been deprecated now for five years. And Whoa. none of the browsers have provided a solution. In fact, when, when we originally took on that old that Speaks Decoder project, we were expecting to use the what was supposed to replace script processor node, which was audio workers. And so okay. audio workers were like web workers, except they were supposed to work on a separate thread and they were supposed to have data passed back and forth. And we kind of saw the progression of support for this. Like we saw uh, typed array buffers being able to hand them off to workers without a copy happen. Those that aren't aware, when you create a worker and you pass data to a worker, it creates a duplicate of all the data that you're passing to that worker. Right, right. Except in the case of typed arrays, you can pass a typed array and it hands off ownership of, of that typed wow. array. So at that point, you almost are doing pointers. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's the only efficient way that you could possibly do generation of any large amounts of data, whether oh, it... Absolutely. I mean, yeah, 48,000 floats a second, you know? Right. Or, or even, <laughs> if you're to do, as a, even if you're to do image data, it's the same thing. Like if you were to have any kind of like image algorithm like Langsos 3 or something and you wanted to apply to that to scale an image or do anything complex off of the yeah, main yeah. thread. You need that level of data to pull it out of a canvas and throw it over. But yeah, it was the first step. Using a typed array like that, does that allow the browser to then make performance assumptions and be faster with that amount of data? Is that why it's commonly used for this? So if you pass a string over, it's going to copy the string. And so you're going to have essentially two strings, right? In memory. In memory. So like, it's not a big deal for a string, but like with the image example, right? If you pass an image off to a, a web worker, you're going to have two images in memory now then eventually it's going to pass it back. So now you've got three images in memory. Mm -hmm. Hopefully your garbage collection happens sometime. And you're not within, dealing with within. too many images. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So then with audio workers, instead of making a copy, it basically passes a reference to the memory, a pointer across the wire. So it's just copying the memory location. 
the underlying then, byte array buffer actually is transferred yeah. and the underlying byte array buffer is destroyed or it goes away. It's not quite destroyed. Right. It's, it's essentially yeah, transferred yeah, yeah. between the two spaces. So yeah, it transfers ownership over rather than making a copy. Yeah, so it's many times more efficient. Right, it's kind of like passing an object into a JavaScript function rather than passing in a number into a JavaScript function. We talk about pass by value and pass by reference. I would imagine it's similar, except that when you pass it to the audio worker, it releases the hold from the main thread to the audio worker thread. Yeah. Except the problem with audio workers is they never came to fruition. They were supposed uh, to be the replacement for script processor node, which has been deprecated. Yeah. And three or four years later, audio workers were deprecated for audio worklets, which is a... Okay. Yeah. So worklets are a new spec. I get a twitch every time I hear something that ends in the lets, and I think it's because of portlets. <laughs> yes. I'm on board with you there, Brian. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So anyway, audio worklets. Audio worklets are, they're lighter weight than audio workers. They use a better architecture, like better interfaces. Okay. They're more, right. I think they're more promise-based. It's been, I haven't really looked deep into them because until recently, nobody supported them again. And I was oh. burned pretty badly on audio workers thinking that they would come to fruition. So just recently, Chrome introduced audio worklets in 60, uh, Chrome 66. Mm -hmm. And that's the first place they're available. So you can kind of start to play around with them. But as far as I know, they were just kind of crammed in there. And I know in yeah. Chrome 66, they run on the main thread still. Oh, that's no good. So you have the APIs, but you don't have the, yeah. the feature functionality. And now we're mm -hmm. in Chrome 70-ish. And so I haven't looked back. They might be off the main thread, but it doesn't right. really matter too much because none of the other browsers have worklets. Right, exactly. And I would imagine that the API is quite different from the script processor node. It's very different. And a lot of things have changed. It's not completely foreign, but a lot of things have changed too because as... Mm -hmm. Over the last five years, things have changed from callbacks uh, to promises. So a lot right. of things that Chrome does now returns a promise. So if you're going to do something, right. you can await on it, which is great. But then Safari hasn't updated, I want to say the S word, hasn't updated anything. <laughs> <laughs> because it's Safari, it's the IE of the web. And so if you want to do anything yeah. with web audio, you have to polyfill that. So for instance, all of the everything essentially, you have to use callbacks for and then use promises on top of that, basically make those wrappers. Right. And there's some libraries out there, like there's like HowlerJS and things like that, that'll help fill those voids. But I mean, the APIs keep changing. And so it, yeah, it really yeah. behooves the community to start to adopt something and start mm -hmm. nailing those things down and stop like the drift of, of API changes. Right, right. I mean, Safari still has audio workers. Uh, Safari still has audio, uh, web audio behind a web kit. And I would imagine that, that some of this, as VR takes off more, I would imagine that some of this is going to come to fruition. But this seems like a really neat technology that's kind of niche right now. It is. And it's a lot of it's just because a lot of devs on the web, sound is those one of those things that are hard to understand. And then yeah. some of it is it's we're just missing a lot of features like right. digital signal processing libraries. Digital signal processing is big in any kind of audio. Absolutely. And not having access to like a fast Fourier transform function in a real way that allows you to get to change from data to like the data space or the time space to frequency space and yeah. do things like which is what filters do all the time they change to frequency space they chop off your top right. end frequencies or bottom end frequencies and then they translate it back to time domain mm -hmm. not having that is terrible 
not having you know real <laughs> rate change everything's and terrible everything's terrible and it needs to get better right now <laughs> but yeah we don't have all those things like doing the rate change and pitch correction it exists in video and audio why don't we have it in web audio i had to write my own pitch correction and that sucks yeah <laughs> things are still happening on the main thread which is rough on performance uh we got around Absolutely. a lot of it by using streams essentially generators and use yeah. you know asynchronous generators which thank goodness typescript had great transpiling support for that but asynchronous yeah. generators to deal with things in chunks most people aren't used to dealing with an asynchronous generator i had to come up to speed on okay what is this actually doing it's not a something that most people's programming set of tools kind of lends itself to that's definitely uh, true it's definitely something that, that it's hard to wrap your head around at first once you get it it's like oh okay and we had to use it at a native level. Like we were calling yeah. next on the generator because we wanted to make sure that if the buffer was full, we wouldn't call, we would wait to call next until another time yeah. frame. And yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It was interesting. And really what, what we would want is to have web audio have just a stream, a buffered stream yeah. that you could yeah. like fill and say like, I can fill this buffered stream and have web audio just like deal with that and say, I want to start playing this buffered stream and automatically yeah. handle like when buffering needs to happen and we and throw an event that says this is yeah. empty we have to stop all of the other effects that are going on and all of the other sources because we have a, an empty event here and you know right. we need to catch up or to say okay this buffer is full we don't need to call our processor anymore yeah. to de to decode anything until we start emptying out this buffer you know have back pressure on it and just like really basic things we had to recreate in ways that were novel, unfortunately, because novelty is never great for other devs picking it up. It takes time and training. Yeah, I can definitely speak to that for sure. So what we need to do is we need to lobby to get you on the, the web audio committee, right? Yeah, I mean, it's an open committee, just like a lot of them are. It's really about kind of, you know, it's a cart and horse problem. Like, what are the novel yeah. things that we can do? And a lot of things in web audio have come from the music scene, like pedals and dials and things like that sure, have translated sure. over very well. But what new technologies can we really use? We really need somebody to take it and run with it before we start yeah. putting constraints around the API. I would just be happy to have a right. finalized API at this point <laughs> that we can yeah, like, no, iterate on. Well, and, and some of this, the niceties that would be nice to have in the API really have come about in the last two years you know streams in the in the browser and promises in the browser yeah you know you look back i think we'd gotten native promises three four years ago and that was that was very limited some of these things that would make the api great are quite new so yeah i get time for you know a rewrite of it again well gosh <laughs> we're even having problems with like using web audio so chrome 70 introduced a uh, a requirement to use web audio so you have to have a user yeah. click or do something to start playback of your audio yeah. to even initialize your audio setup I remember that yeah and it it ruined our architecture a little bit and we had to go back and fix a lot of things and a lot of people were very angry about that it really raises questions about like what is the future going to be because vr right now like the webxr spec is working on linking between vr experiences and so yeah. if you're in a VR setup and you follow a link to another VR room on another web page, which is what the VR link's idea is, to stay in, you'll go to another place, but then you won't, will you have audio? You the, yeah, you won't have the audio. Like, is it all going to be silent until you click a trigger or something <laughs> yeah. on your controller? Or what if you only have gaze available, which is, you know, if you don't have any controller, a lot of 
VR setups allow you to just like look at something and then select mm. it. Well, there's no action in those cases. So, right. you know, are, is Chrome going to make an exception if you're in VR? Like, what are these things? And like, if you have a website, like, I don't know, Google Hangouts, and you go to that Google Hangouts, you would probably want audio to play if somebody sends you a message. But if you haven't yeah. clicked on it, you can't start web audio. What would really be nice is if some sites allowed you to kind of whitelist that site and then support automatic playback of audio under certain circumstances. Like if you're in VR, yes, I want continue VR. I want to continue in VR. Or maybe you have to have like a dialogue pop up in VR to ask you if you allow them to always whitelist. But I mean, if I'm in Hangouts, I would always want it to play audio even if I didn't click on it. If I have an email client, right. I might always want a ding to notify me when an email yeah, comes in. Yeah. And so we're starting to limit web audio before it even really finds all its, its purpose. That's my spiel. Those are all the problems. I know we're kind yeah. of getting short on time. People are starting we're to pay attention. Do, we're going to have to do a, another, at least another episode on this. This is fascinating. You know, just kind of the things going on around it and the potential for it. So uh, I, yeah. I, foresee, I foresee another episode on this in the future. It really is. This is way more than a replacement for BG Sound, which is what I initially thought. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is really cool. Thanks for telling us all about this, Paul. Sure, it was good to get it all out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Real quick, we want to we want to mention a few things going on. Uh, there's a Phoenix TypeScript holiday party, and that's going to be with Node AZ, Node Arizona, and uh, Phoenix JavaScript. That's going to be December 11th at 6:30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Where would people find out more about that, Paul? Uh, they can join one of the groups on Meetup, Meetup.com. Okay. And Alrighty. all three of them should we'll, have up something soon, if not already. But we do. All right. We'll put a link in the show notes as to that. And Paul will be there so you can ask him all about web audio and all your questions. And then before we leave, Nick, do you have any tips and tricks, anything that we should know about that we don't? I was just going to mention quickly the Houdini proposal for CSS. And I'll just briefly explain kind of what that is, but it's kind of the next version of CSS or a way to interact with different parts of CSS rendering. And that's things from being able to get access to a paint API. So like in a div or in some kind of element, you could get access to a paint API and run, uh, basically get a, a 2D rendering context and be able to use it as if it were a canvas. And so animate that in different ways. Whoa. There's a new parser API so you can define your own CSS logic and rules and then use those rules. And so this is kind of a, a Babel-like way of being able to extend CSS and then use that and experiment like with it. native in the browser? Native in the browser. This is very, wow. very early, though, all of this. Really, if you want to play with this at all, you have to do it behind a flag in Chrome Canary. So a lot of it is very, very new. But it's very cool to see that coming down the pipe. Yeah. And uh, being able to play with that early and get an idea of what, what's possible, which is really cool. And we kind of talked about, I think you called them audio worklets, Paul, mm -hmm. and being able to do that kind of audio processing. There's animation worklets now that allow you to do that processing in a, a worklet and then affect the animation rendering of the page. So it's outside of the main thread and will be pretty fast. Very cool. And just to, uh, we'll put this in the show notes, but there's a, a cool website called ishoudiniReadyYet.com. <laughs> and it has very little green on it, but you can kind of use that to keep track of what's coming down. All righty. Well, I think that does it for this edition of TalkScript. Thank you, Paul, for coming on and talking about web audio. And thanks, Nick, 
for helping me host. Until next time, thanks, and talk to you later. Bye. Bye, all. Thanks for listening to the TalkScript podcast. You can round out your TalkScript experience by viewing our show notes, listening to past episodes, subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, and of course, following us on Twitter at TalkScript. We record new episodes every other week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of TalkScript, a superset of a podcast about JavaScript. We've got a good thing going on. Bah, 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 bah.